This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to The Real EFL Podcast, the podcast solely dedicated to teams in the English Football League. The two most incredibly stressful days for absolutely everyone working in football are now behind us as the final transfer deadline day of the 2023-24 campaign has finally passed. But the entire month was hectic from start to finish and there have been some major talking points to come out of the January transfer window, including some huge signings, managerial changes and ownership problems, proving to us all that the EFL is still as beautifully unpredictable as ever and leaving us with plenty to discuss in this episode. I'm your host, Evan Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. And if you do, please leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice, if you're feeling dangerous. On this show, we will dive into all the major stories from the past few days, but thankfully, I won't be on my own to discuss them, as I would cry. I'm joined today by the ever-wonderful and knowledgeable EFL correspondent for The Athletic, Nancy Froston. Nancy, how have you been? Not too bad, thank you. Uh, Just recovering from uh, a late one last night, but uh, yeah, all good. For people that don't, I suppose, work in football or work on deadline day, it's literally the equivalent of like the last weekend before Christmas or the the leading days up to Christmas when everyone does last-minute shopping and everyone buys their turkey and runs into Dunn stores or Tesco or whatever to get their food. This is why I imagine it's like a real t- retail workers working in there. It is it is hell because you write a piece and then information comes out and then it's changed and the deal collapses. I mean, yesterday even was it uh, the deal with Duncan McGuire? Yeah. I think, yeah, for Blackburn, it, it, it was going ahead and then it collapsed and then it was going ahead. I was like, my God, and you're trying to write it and then it's changing every time and it's just hell. Um, so I'm actually... Really glad to see the back of it, to be honest, for at least the next couple of months while we recover. Actually, the last time you were on this podcast, Nancy, it was we were discussing the future of Tony Mowbray. And when yeah. we when I finished recording, when we literally left the meeting, he was sacked. And I thought, what a wasted opportunity that was. Um, he was sacked literally five minutes later, and I was devastated. He was sacked that night. I believe it was a Monday. So it's been quite a while. I think that was nearly two months ago. Mm. Uh, but before we 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 will get on to Sunderland, but before we get on to there, on to them, we'll talk about the the race for automatic promotion because the January transfer window was now over. The the teams inside the I don't like saying the top four that's such a Premier League term, but they they're kind of in my opinion are in a bit of a league of their own at the moment in in the Championship, which is of course Leeds United, Southampton, Ipswich Town, and, and Leicester City. Nancy, what are your thoughts on how the the top four race looks now, or the top two race, sorry, I should say, after the January transfer window. Who do you think came out the strongest? Who came out the weakest? It's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of the uh, thing of, do you mess with mess with something that's working, which Leicester haven't done because yeah. they've not signed anyone, I don't think, unless anything snuck through late. Um, uh, which obviously I think was, you know, Met with some grumbles by the fans and Enzo Moresca kind of got sounded a bit frustrated in his press conference. Um, or do you kind of, you know, go go for well, not for broke, because I don't think the signings that Ipswich have made mm-hmm. is going for broke, but do you go big in comparison to those other teams? Um, because yeah, at Leicester, Leeds, Southampton, fairly modest windows actually, considering the money that they'll well, they'll have, but in 
you know FFP kind of constraints do do affect that but you'd think they they could shuffle things around if they wanted to and free up some cash um but it's hard it is hard to overlook actually kind of where Ipswich have strengthened I just think that's that's I'm not saying more signings is always good but actually looking at what they've done what what I thought they needed to replace um they've they've got the depth now they've they've got Kiefer Moore in to kind of shore up um the the space left by George Hurst's injury um and that type of player and I yeah it feels weird to talk about two of these teams not making it because they're all so strong it does seem strange I just going back to Leicester City for a moment they were well, it looked pretty certain, actually, that they were going to sign Stefano Sensi from Inter in, in, in Italy. And it, I think a report came out then that Inter had Nicola Barella and Hakan Chalanoglu suspended. So they needed to hold off just for one game while they came back so he'd be in the squad. And then the deal just didn't seem to happen. In fact, you, you could even argue that Leicester got a bit weaker. They lost they lost Cassidy to, to Chelsea. He was sent, or taken back from his loan spell do you think they're in any danger of being caught up with by Southampton I suppose more than more than any other side who are absolutely flying at the moment yeah it's it's funny isn't it because it's just it's just felt like that's done for so long like and you can't take it for granted because you know if they suddenly lost four on the spin and, and Southampton keep going then there is a world in which that in which Leicester can be reeled back in but um I think the way they're playing the fact that they kept hold of like Kin and Dewsbury Hall, yeah. I think if they'd lost him, we, we'd maybe be yeah. framing the second half of the season slightly differently. Um, a few others of their players as well, and I know they had a few out at Afcon that probably will be returning soon. Um, so I think they will um, be okay, but I do think it will be closer than mm. it currently is, and than it has been, um, especially especially with the run Southampton are on. Um, yeah. I I think for me around Southampton, uh, and I, I don't know if I've said on here before, but I'm a Saints fan, so I'm very pleased with this, uh, the way it's going. But um, but I think for me the key thing wasn't, I mean the the signings Rothwell and Brooks are kind of replacements um, for the players um, Holgate and Alcaraz that have gone out this window. But um, for me it would be like how they respond to the first defeat that ends mm. this run. And I don't want to think about it ending because <laughs> at 21 games, that's insane. Yeah. Um, but it will just be interesting to me to see what what sort of the culture is or the, the squad mm. is about in terms of like a bounce back thing. Because, you know, if for some reason they miss out on the top two, the playoffs is all about how how well you can bounce back from crazy things very quickly. And yeah. um, um, and that's more like just just traits within the team rather than style of play or anything. It's just like, maybe a mental thing as much as anything. I, I just find it crazy that after that four game, I wouldn't even call it a losing streak. It was like getting battered every game, especially was it the 5-0, five 5-0 against Sunderland, wasn't it? Yeah. And yeah. I I just can't believe after, I don't remember what, I, the last game was Middlesbrough, wasn't it? It was Middlesbrough, the, the loss. And then since then, it's just been a, a 21 game unbeaten run. That is absolutely fascinating. I mean, they're, they're flying at the moment and you can see as well, as much as Kieran McKenna will, won't admit it, I'd imagine. I would say the fact that Southampton have been so good and the fact that they're catching and they're constantly going and going. Ipswich Town don't have any breathing room. And they're not used to this kind of intensity, Ipswich Town. So, you know, I know they had the, the race in League One last season, of course, and they did so well. But the Championship is a different animal, especially when you're competing against sides like Leicester City, Leeds United, Southampton, who, as I said, those three are in a league of their own, basically, with Ipswich down there on the top four. They look they look miles ahead of... I just whacked my elbows. I said that really hurt. They're in a league of their own in terms of, you know, the, the, the strength of the squad, I suppose. Just one more thing before we move on, actually. Leeds United were linked with every name under the sun <laughs> during the January yeah. transfer window. And they finished one signing, and it was Conor Roberts, which is like... I like Conor Roberts. He's a good player. But they were linked with like some. They were, I mean, I think they were linked with like Matthias Sula from Italy at one stage. It was like twenty five million mm. on loan from Juventus, and I just think, and, and then they ended up with Conor Roberts. Still, I, I just it, it was just bizarre because I actually expected them to bring in a lot more. I know they were linked with like Chris Meppham from Bournemouth as well, Kiefer Moore as well, a couple of players, and they ended up getting Conor Roberts, which I suppose they needed 
they needed depth of, of fullback. Roberts can play left and right, which isn't isn't the worst signing, I suppose, is a good addition to the squad, at least for for versatility and backup. Do you think mm. do you think Leeds United are bet do you think they can get in ahead of Southampton or even Ipswich Town, I suppose? Um at the moment not not for me. Um I and I'm I'm trying not to, you know, I don't want this to seem like Southampton bias or anything. Um but I think of the three, and if we are talking about it as a three, presumably with Leicester being one of the two, I think you know, we can be confident in saying that. Mm. Um I think on paper Southampton look a touch stronger as things stand. Um and and I really do rate the, the job that Kieran McKenna is doing at Ipswich. So I, I think it'd be a close run thing. And if I've got my fixture list memorised correctly, Leeds are, I've got Southampton on the final day of the season, which is, Amazing. I mean, it has the potential to be an absolutely heartbreaking day for someone, but um, also, you know, great for the neutral. Um, but I, I think, um, I think Leeds could, yeah, they'll, I think they'll keep pace and they'll pro- probably reel in one of the two teams, but I, I do slightly fancy Southampton for it more um but I suppose that thing with being linked with lots of lots of players it's kind of that um big club uh mm-hmm. curse in a way in that you know uh Leeds are a great headline or they're a great great club to put in your <laughs> yeah in your headline um and and that can be great because you know it means people care about your club and it and it's really interesting and um you know, it shows you've still got you've got that pulling power regardless of the league you're in and all those things. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes I suppose as a fan it must be really hard not to get excited and think something might be happening when it's just talk or it's it's never going to progress further than a certain stage. So yeah. yeah. Um but they, they they are an interesting still an interesting kind of contender in that top four and I wouldn't write them off. Well I said earlier in the podcast that when we or the last time you were on, it was actually the night that Tony Mowbray was sacked and since then Sunderland have had they had Mike Dodds in interim charge for a while. He did okay, got some big wins against was it Leeds and West Brom. He got the wins against the two very good victories. But then Michael Beale took charge, a very controversial appointment. I think it's fair to say, respectfully, mm. he's taken charge of eight games so far, and they have. Oh, sorry, he's taken charge of yes, eight games, three wins, four losses, and one draw. They were busy in the last couple of days. They signed Romain Mundell. They signed Callum Styles on loan. Uh, Leo Kjeld a few days before as well. Uh, Jewison Bennett was sent out on loan. Elysia Mayenda. And then Alex Pritchard was sold. Now we'll get on to Alex Pritchard probably in, in a second. We'll just talk about the Beal, how it's gone so far. Because mm. there was a game recently where they lost. It wasn't the Newcastle United game. I think it was the was a whole sea at home. It might have been with the... They lost, there was booze, there was a lot of booze in the stadium, there was a lot of people chanting for Mowbray, you know, I'm not saying that Saki Mowbray was the wrong thing to do necessarily, it's just when you look at how Beale's career has gone so far in terms of he did really well with QPR, but it did tail off towards the end, people seem to forget that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't in Leicester's position where they're 20 points clear at the top, it tailed off, went to Rangers, did okay, but this season when he started it was a disaster, they were dumped out of Europe pretty pathetically to be honest they lost heavily to Celtic it was it was just really poor are you do you think they can make it into the playoffs now and and I'll ask you about their their transfer activity in a moment but do you think they can still make it into the playoffs and the squad strong enough um I I think I it's not that I don't think they're strong enough but I think I just fancy some other teams more for it um Hull or uh, Coventry, I think, um, for me, kind of rounding it out. I think that might be the the top six anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm trying to remember where the where the teams have shuffled. Yeah, it's I, West I Brom, Coventry of... is fourteen uh, or yeah, fifth yeah, and sixth. Yeah, um, but yeah, I do fancy Hull to be maybe in the mix, but yeah, and West Brom still very strong. So, yeah. um, I, I'm not sure. I think there's enough there for this season, and I think especially kind of. Um, when you get to the the tail end and literally, you know, every second, I mean, every second always counts, but when you're really getting to the crunch, um, I just feel like the, the unity really needs to be there basically. And, and, and Sunderland can be this absolute force when, 
you know, when everyone's when everyone's happy, when everyone's together. But um, I don't know, that's just not the vibe I get. Obviously, like you say, with the booze and everything for Michael Beale, and I think Beale out was trending on Twitter, which <laughs> means nothing, but also does mean, you know, it means enough that if, you know, for, for casual kind of football fans, they might just look at it and go, oh God, what's going off at Sunderland again? Yeah. But um, obviously it's not as bad as it as it has been there in the past and stuff. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure... I'm not sure about the appointment. I'm not sure um, they're quite wedded to the the model kind of of the younger signing, which maybe feeds into the uh, Pritchard stuff. But um, in principle, it could be brilliant and it could work. But I think maybe just not this season. It's not quite right, not ready yet. Yeah. One area they needed to strengthen was up top. I think it was very obvious. And actually, the day, the last time we recorded, Nancy, it was in the morning. So we record in the evening and in the morning of that Monday, Tony Mowbray gave a press conference where he basically said, I need new signings up front. I need a new centre forward, but I don't think I'll get one. And then a couple of hours later, he wasn't in a job. Those two things may have been correlated. They may have not have been. Seemed a bit coincidental, but he was no longer in a job. And they didn't really didn't really strengthen much. Actually, they kind of got weaker, I suppose. They lost two players. I know Mason Burst, though, he scored his... I think it was his fourth goal there a few days ago. Uh, Russian as well. He scored against Preston on New Year's Day. That was his first goal. But they really are weak up top. They brought in another winger. He's a good player actually from Standard Liège. Really good player. I've I've I've, saw, I've watched him before. But they didn't really strengthen the area that they needed to strengthen. And then they lost Alex Pritchard. Do you think there's an argument that the squad's actually weaker, or do you think the signings they made have have offset that a little bit? Um, yeah, I think I think they're in the classic problem of everyone needs a striker in January. Um, and so, you know, if you don't get what you need in a transfer window, mm-hmm. very bluntly, you could say you are weaker because you, or, or you know, you've not improved because you've not you've not got what you need. Um, but again, I think there's probably like a little bit of a not a big club tax on a team like Sunderland, but sort of that. Yeah. Uh, I think it must be quite difficult to mm. to negotiate maybe when, especially in January when, like you say, like I say, there's, you know, probably 20 clubs for every striker that might be in a position to move. Um, it, people, you know, really desperate for, for strikers in particular. Um, I think the players that they've signed are interesting. Callum Styles obviously was has been brilliant for Barnsley in, in spells, especially when they got Crazy to the that he was still in League One, by the way. I find that absolutely bizarre. Yeah. This man has 18 caps for the Hungarian national team and he's in <laughs> League One. Yeah, yeah. And he, he kind of he went on loan, was it Millwall last season? Yeah. Um, so maybe it, I kind of was thinking he'd move in the summer um, permanently. and But I do think he's really, you know, great player. Um, and they've paid a, a big fee for Mundell and, you know, I've heard good things. Obviously, I think he was quite highly thought of at Spurs as well mm-hmm. before he went over to Belgium. So I don't know, are they weaker? I I I don't think they're weaker, but basically I'm not sure I'm not sure how much better they'll yeah. they'll be, kind of thing. Um but it can all, you know, it can all turn around. It, it, just that injection of new blood can kind of draw stuff out of out of the forward players they have got. Yeah, I just think as well that like Obviously, Kiefer Moore moved to the to the championship this this winter, and they were linked to him. Now I don't know how true the rumours were, but they were linked to him, and I thought he would have been a decent option. Anyone really? I know you don't just want to waste money on anyone, but even a loan signer or someone. It was obviously Ali Alhamidi, who was I know he's away on international duty, but he was wanted by a number of clubs in the championship. There, there were options, you know, even even further down that in League One, there's some of the the goal scores in League One are ridiculous this season. They're all competing. I think there's like six at least that have 15, 16. It's insane down there. You could find someone, but anyway, I, I they did strength they did strengthen, I suppose, but then they also lost Alex Pritchard. What happened there, Nancy? Because he do you think it was a case of Michael Beale coming in and Mowbray leaving and Mowbray said, You want to come over to Birmingham with me? And he kind of just got the hump and said, Yeah, I don't want to be here anymore. Because it was, it kind of just he just refused to play, didn't he? Yeah, and I think um, obviously when it gets to that point, it, it probably does a bit of damage to your relationship with with the fans. Um, and I do have sympathy for players in that situation because uh, look, I, I don't imagine in isolation it's just him that's pushed for the move. There's probably been conversations, and Michael Beale might have said, you know, we're going to look at a younger profile of player or 
or whatever, or maybe, you know, he's realised he's not going to get as many minutes, something like that, or he's had a conversation with Tony Mowbray and a, a deal won't happen unless both clubs involved are happy with it. Um, but it might have just been at a point where it wasn't progressing fast enough before that game where he obviously told the club that he didn't want to play. Um, and again, as a, if, if I put my fan hat on, that's really annoying because you think, you know, give it your all. It could fall through at any moment. Like, don't obviously rule yourself out of a game. Mm. Um, but also, you know, if I put my hat on as a journalist and I speak to players and I realise kind of what's on the line for them at, at times like this, there's a world in which he plays that game and he gets a season-ending injury and then he doesn't get a move to play with a manager who he had a good relationship with and kind of a good, uh, a good spell kind of performing with. So... I can sort of see where if if it's progressing well enough and it's clear that the move's going to happen, but it's just, you know, some officials, club officials sorting out the nuts and bolts. I imagine it happens more than people realise that players ask yeah. not to play um, or they're dropped and they just put it down as like the manager dropping the player, but it might mm. be the player or the agent asking not to play. Sunderland taking that public obviously makes it a bit more of a an issue um and clearly they wouldn't they weren't happy with that otherwise they wouldn't have done that but um yeah it's it's tricky but I think I think he's within his rights to do that given the risks um it it would be similar to you know a player being uh, asking not to play before going away to the world cup or something like that because you yeah. can you can literally pick up an injury at any minute and it, it ruin you know, it ruins that. And they've um, got some money out of it. I think it was an undisclosed fee. Yeah. So, you know, there's some benefit to it, I suppose, financially. And ultimately as well, like his contract was up at the end of the season. He's thinking yeah. to himself, I know I'm not defending a player not refuse or refusing to work ultimately. I mean, you still are on the contract of Sunderland. You should always show up. And that's my opinion. But on the other hand, he was out of contract at the end of the season. There's a chance. I, mean, I think Mowbray will be at Birmingham next season, probably because considering they're doing quite well, I suppose better than I suppose on the Wayne Rooney. Anyway, it wasn't hard, but they, you know, he he knows that Mowbray may not be there next season, and this may be his only chance to get a move to a decent club on a decent wage. And he think to himself, if I get injured and this ruins it, then I'm out of. You know, and because he has to think about his future too. Now he's on the wrong side of thirty. So again, I'm not defending him. That was just probably his thought process. I imagine, like like you said, moving on to another club that had or have struggled this season. It is the worst defensive record in the championship. They are currently sitting 18th, 53 goals conceded in 28 matches, scored 41 though, but they have a minus goal difference, of course, of 12. We're very busy the last couple of days in terms of the January activity, but they have been truly poor this season I think it's fair to say compared to where they finished last season the season before I think I'm trying to phrase this correctly because I got myself in some hot water with uh, certain people that work at Blackburn recently over a, a piece I wrote about a certain manager recently and I may have been critical and they may have not been happy and that's okay that's fine they weren't too happy that's okay that happens but it's not getting any better in fact like I can't believe they're I don't I don't obviously I don't I'm not stupid or daft enough to think they'll go down they probably won't I think they're still strong enough to stay up but like I would love to know what kind of drills they do on the training pitch or or even tactical work because 53 goals is bizarre I don't think their defense is that bad to leak that many goals they've conceded more goals than Rotherham United and QPR any of the teams that are in the bottom three and I find that bizarre do you think Blackburn We'll stick with with JDT until the end of the season and assess it from then. Or do you think he's they believe he's the right man because it went kind of well last season? They just missed out on the playoffs. This season just been a complete disaster. I mean, not even just on the pitch. Statistically, they rank so low in all defensive metrics. Nearly going forward is fine, but if you can't defend, it's useless. Mm. I um, I think they might stick with him, and I say this because I think back to obviously when Tony Mowbray was there. And I think he knew he was going for a while, yeah. and they they kept him on to the end of the season. If I'm mm. thinking right, it was. And it was I kind remember of the like, press conference he did where he was eating biscuits, yeah. saying like, "I don't know, I I I haven't heard anything about them." It was like it was like the penultimate game of the season or something. Yeah, yeah, and so, I mean, if you look at that, then it's kind of like a, a recent 
that's all you can go off, you know, mm. um, in terms of their hire and fire or whatever you want to call it in their, their strategy. But um, I think I think they will as well because, um, you know, it's been widely reported about the issue they're having in terms of um, cash flow from India with the, the rules that the government have put in place there. And it costs money to sack managers. I think people forget this all the time. It costs money to sack managers. It costs money to hire managers. So um, that's another thing. And if I was to be really blunt about it as well, like, again, I agree, they're not going to go down. They're too, they are, they, ha- they are good enough to stay up. So at this point of the season in 18th, like, unless you're going to sort of sack him and hire someone else with a view to building for next season, what you're really sacking him for, if that makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. may be looking to improve a few places in the table. Managers rarely get time. So you could go down the, the line of thinking of giving him this time mm-hmm. to really assemble something for next season rather than making that change. It costing a lot of money and then that potentially not working because um, they're not they're not going to push for the playoffs from here. So it's kind of that like what are you aiming for slightly better than last season. That probably isn't <laughs> going to happen either. So, um, but yeah, it is it is a shame because. I think back to last season and the season before, it was like they were so close. They were on the cusp of something and it felt like they just needed like a tiny little yeah. thing, a tweak. I don't know what the thing or the tweak was. And obviously it's hard, it's hard to find because this happens to teams all the time. Um, but yeah, the way they are conceding is, um, it is concerning. I think the issue was mainly, was for me anyway, and I tried to articulate this, but they did so well last season for a long time. And then that second half of the season was completely downhill and they got so much worse. And then that carried on this season. And people say JDT did well last season, which is true because over the course of the season they did. But if you take the course of the last 18 months, and not even 18 months, sorry, what am I talking about? 12, 12 months. It's really not been great. Um, so, I mean, there's no point spending too much time talking about the situation unless he's sacked tonight like Tony Mowbray was when we recorded. But <laughs> what I will say is you can look at their squad. They made some they made some decent additions, but they lost Adam Wharton to Crystal Palace for a fee. I believe the fee was twenty five million ish, is that correct? Yeah, I think twenty two to twenty five, something yeah. like that, yeah. I mean they they lost him, which is a huge loss because I think he's one of the genuinely one of the best young players in English football. I've watched him a lot and he is a fantastic player. He can do everything the way you do. His passing range is unbelievable. He's quick off the mark. He's a great tackler. He can score goals too, can assist. I think he's a brilliant player. They did make some decent signings. Connor O'Reard, and that took a while actually because there was, like you said, wasn't there issues with 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 payment coming in from from, from India? Or I can't remember the something like that. They, they couldn't pay the fee in full and they wanted to pay it in installments and Crew said they didn't want that because he had a 500,000 release clause. Pound really close. So they got it done over the line eventually. But yeah, they made some decent signings. And, and then Duncan McGuire, obviously coming from DC United, he was on the table, off the table, on the table, off the table, and then he's back on the table. And then he's with Ewood Park. Some decent signings. Maybe they'll improve. I think they might need to improve because if it gets any worse, I'd imagine the board will assess the situation at the end of the season. I'm not I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying they could in case someone listens to this that's unhappy with my opinions on Blackburn. That's absolutely fine. Away days are great, especially when your striker bag's a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. 
And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash EFL. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now, back to the podcast. Now on to another team, a managerless team. Well, it's managerless as of, as of recording, I believe. A 12-game run without a win, Nancy. And then Michael Appleton lost his job. But it's just, a, it, again, just symbolic of Charles and Athletic, isn't it? I actually have a stat here for you. Uh, this is not my stat. I believe the stat is from the iPaper. The January 22nd, 2004, which was what, 11 days ago, this last month, or 11, 11 days ago, but 20 years then. So January 22nd, 2004, Charlton were fourth in the Premier League. Since 2014, when Chris Powell left, that's 10 years ago, of course, they've had 13 managers in 10 years. I mean, how many? You can only blame managers to a certain point, can't you? I mean, I'd, everyone blames managers when things go wrong on the pitch. And I understand that, but Michael Afton was also very open about the fact that recruitment was, he didn't say disastrous, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he said it hasn't really been good enough and he admitted that publicly when he was in charge of Charlton. Where do they go from here? Who, who, who do they line up as a successor, in your opinion, or, or have you heard of anyone coming in? Because I know if a couple of names, like Nathan Jones was one as well, I've, I read from Richard Carley at the South London Press reported that. Yeah, I think um, it sounds like Nathan Jones is, is kind of the, the front runner. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get off this and they've appointed him. Actually, I think it's quite close. But um, but yeah, there. I think there are a few clubs um, uh, throughout the EFL where you can almost exclusively blame not uh, not blame the manager for things that have gone wrong. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for for Michael Appleton, but over that period since Chris Powell was sacked. Charlton have been a mess <laughs> and um, you know they're one of those fan bases where you kind of look at them and go blimey that's a really rough ride and I'm quite glad you know whatever's going on at my club it's not as bad as that which sounds awful but there are those teams where you look at them and think god what have they got to do to catch a break um, and I think in the end Michael Hafton was kind of spared quite a tricky return to uh, I think it was Blackpool would have been his next game and I'm not sure what the reception would have been like (laughs) for him there so perhaps it was a mercy in the end but um, I'll be very interested if it's Nathan Jones to see what what the new ownership and what Nathan Jones were able to do together because um, you know obviously it was a disaster at Southampton it was a disaster at Stoke but in spells what he did at Luton was very good (laughs) and it worked with that group and that profile of player he didn't have loads of cash you know he he was able to kind of absolutely maximize what he had um and obviously for two of their three promotions he wasn't actually there and you know I suppose there there are different schools of thinking on whether he would have got them up in both cases um because it was Graham Jones and uh and Rob Edwards of course that got them out of league one and championship but but, you know, the work that he did there was decent. It's just, I think it probably, his style of management probably only works with certain types of players. And, mm-hmm. and you know, he didn't have that at Stoke and Southampton. It was it was a different level. And, you know, um, whether it'll be more of a natural fit at Charlton, I, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be good if it was, but... I have another question, and, and it's, it seems a bit mundane, I suppose, to ask, but, or a bit trivial even. Why would anyone take the job? Like, you're Nathan Jones, and I'm not saying he's going to get another Premier League job. I don't think he's going to touch the Premier League for a while unless he takes a team there, because while his press conferences at, the, at Southampton were box office, it 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 just, I mean, it was kind of, some of the, some of the quotes were a bit cringe. Like, some of them, they, they just were. Not to be too bad, but some of the stuff he was saying, I was I was actually shaking my head, head, head in my hands. I was like, stop this man from talking. Good fun, though. I mean, I kind of missed... I kind of miss him, but he's not. I, I, why would he drop to League One? I mean, even Gary Rowett has been linked with the job as well. He's linked with every available job, I suppose. But it, I think it was the South London Press too. They also said that he's not so keen to take because he wants to stay in the Championship, which makes sense. Why would anyone take the Charlton Athletic job? They are literally in a relegation battle now. As as much as they don't want to say they are, they are, which mm. is insane because they're 
only a few points above the literally only a few points above the relegation zone. I think the point they got at Blackpool was decent because I didn't I didn't expect them to get a point there. Um but why would anyone take this job, Nancy? Um I mean they are I think and this is why they've probably attracted quite quite a uh how should we describe them interesting uh yeah. array of owners over the years um they're uh they're a club with, you know they're the big club and they're a club with great potential and they've got that kind of um that potential to kind of obviously i, I don't think you know you could say get to the premier league but be a good championship club again mm. within a fairly short period of time um i actually controversially I don't think Nathan Jones would get a championship job I think that's why really I I, I don't Do you think, think it was the Stoke yeah. the Stoke situation because that was a disaster I, I, oh I can't yeah. say what I was going to say but yeah it was a disaster <laughs> I think I think like if he uh, it's not to say he might have spoken to championship clubs obviously yeah. though, those probably in a relegation battle they have changed manager and they have had com- I would be stunned if no one's approached him to have a conversation because managers get approached all the time. Um, but I do think like Gary Rowett's pedigree as a championship manager is more established to then wait it out and wait mm-hmm. for a championship job. Whereas um, I, I really feel that Nathan Jones's time at Southampton was that damaging that it probably requires him to go like not as far as league two, but you know, a, a big league one club, which the Charlton are, they're just yeah. like, not performing that way um yeah I think I think it feels about right in terms of the fit for him um because I look at the the championship and I don't I don't see him kind of really going in anywhere um you know Huddersfield without a manager would he would he go in there I'm not sure whether he'd kind of get the response they need or you know it's kind of it, it feels like more of a, a fitting level for him to then come back and and this can be the the move that re, restarts his career if he gets it right could so, also be the move that kills his career it could also be the move that yeah yeah does that too but um but yeah it'll be interesting and look there's no reason why if he keeps them up they can't build to something better next season um yeah but yeah it's it's a tricky gig. It is a tricky gig. So many clubs have changed managers this season, and the one before Charlton obviously was Drewsbury Town. They were a nightmare. I we did several podcasts where we were just reviewing the action from the weekend, and I I have no qualms with Drewsbury Town at all. I really I really don't. But I was I was so angry by some of the performances. I mean, they were taking like they had they were having like ten shots per game. And six or seven were outside the box, and then they won the wider struggling for goals. Like you're not trying, you're just you're. It's pointless. You're you're like, respectfully, you're League One relegation threatened players, and you're trying to shoot from forty yards. You need to try work a plan to get the ball into the box better. And then Taylor obviously lost his job for. What I will say is though, and this is just, it's not even the, the two things don't even correlate. But April Fool's Day, first of April, uh, Shrewsbury Town. Or, or Matt Taylor would have taken on uh, Matt Taylor, which I think would have been, I think that would have been quite fun. But anyway, not, not, not that it would even matter, but they really, really lack goals up front, Nancy. And they did not strengthen that area at all. And I know, as you said earlier in the podcast, everyone wants a striker, but it, it kind of, I thought they would at least bring in some firepower. They didn't really. They signed Jack Hinchy, isn't it, from, from, from Brighton on loan. I mean, they've the worst, the joint worst goals record in the league, one alongside Cheltenham Town. Firstly, I'll ask you, were you were you surprised at the time with Taylor's dismissal and the decision to replace him with Paul Hurst? Um, I think were they, they were sort of seven defeats in eight, weren't they, at the point he was sacked? So I, I imagine even he'll have thought this is a tricky position you know to retain your job from or or whatever but um yeah I mean the fact that you know obviously Cheltenham didn't score for their first 11 games um of the season so you know to have scored as few goals as as them and they've obviously picked up a bit um under Daryl Clark it's uh it's not it's not great is it it must be you know quite a 
feel like a long wait between goals if you if you're a season ticket holder uh, at Shrewsbury. But um, but I really rate Paul Hurst. I think he's a good manager. Um, he did a good job at, at Grimsby. I think it had probably just come to a sort of natural mm-hmm. end of the the cycle there. Um, he's been there before, I think. Um, so you know it, he'll have a hopefully a bit of credit in the bank. It, you know, it'll give him a bit of um time to build something but i i don't i don't really see them being in too much bother in terms of going down probably just cursed them there but i I really think like anything mid table or above is good like Mm. a a good finish for for shrewsbury like they they have shown potential of maybe challenging for playoffs and and promotion previously just by being like a stubbornly difficult team to beat um and so they're in that tricky position of like how how do you compete with those teams that have got more money, which are always coming down now out of the championship? You know, last season was insane um, with those three teams going at it at the top. Obviously, you've still got you've got teams like Derby, Peterborough, Pompey, Bolton. All I think we can say fairly comfortably have more money than Shrewsbury. Yeah. Um, so you know you, you're competing in a quite a small pool for a certain type of player in the first place, um, but also I think it's just that you know that is probably the top end is just about trying to get in the playoffs at, mm. as things stand. That's just it's just like the finances of of, of League One at the moment. Um, so yeah, if they, if they can just get a bit more daylight between them and. Because that fourth relegation spot is so easy to slip into. It's it's insane. Especially because um, especially Reading are doing kind of okay, considering the, yeah, yeah. the stuff that's happening on the pitch. They've done okay. And Ruben Sainz yeah. has done a really good job. And credit to him, because this was... His two experiences in professional management were relegating some, or Southampton and taking over a club that's practically decaying. So credit to him because he didn't shy away from the challenge and my God, he's had a difficult job. If he manages to keep Reading up, I'd vote him for manager of the season by far because he's, I don't think any, there's not many managers that could put up with that situation. I mean, how he still has hair is beyond me. I'd have lost everything. <laughs> One side, Nancy, that it may be too late for. Well, it is Fleetwood Town, but we're talking about the other side, Carlisle United. They had a busy... Busy transfer window, a busy deadline day. Mm. Only four wins this season. It's been, there's been more Paul Simpson rages, I think, than any, a lovely man, but there's been more Paul Simpson rages than, than there's been wins this season. Do you think they're destined for relegation with, with, with Fleetwood Town? Do you think it's too late or do you think they, they strengthened, weakened in January, maybe? What's your thoughts? Um, I think they're always in a tough position coming up. Um, again, like it, it's so easy to fall back on the they haven't got as much money or they didn't have as much money as everyone else when they mm. came up. Um, but but really, it, it does count for a lot, especially in League One. Um, and and with coming up via the playoffs as well, you you lose sort of three weeks of planning, um, and that that is actually quite a hard thing to negotiate. Like for any recruitment team, you're having to make two plans based on. Do we go up? Do we stay um, in League Two or whatever? Um, they've certainly gone for it, uh, and they've had some quite interesting signings in there. So, like Harry Lewis, probably the best goalkeeper in League Two, I think. Um, so that's a good signing. There was that bonkers of deadline day fiasco with Luke Armstrong um, and Wrexham. Uh, was it in the summer or last January? It, it was yeah. um, that falling through or or not happening at the last minute. So that's quite an interesting one. Um, Georgie Kelly is a player I always look out for because he like when he came on in his first appearance I think for Rotherham and scored the goal that got them promoted like yeah. away at Gillingham like that I don't know why but he just sticks in my mind all the time as like this amazing player that just came on and, and <laughs> rattled one in and then you yeah. know that was his main contribution but um and and yeah more I mean they've got like I think I've got five six seven names written down here so they've gone for it and they've got new owners that have got money that they're willing to invest. Um, but I do fear that if if the results don't turn around very quickly, which they need to, then I, I kind of worry about whether they'll make a change um, 
with Paul Simpson. Well, you were at Brunton Park a few. Well, last time we were on, weren't you? And you you were speaking yeah. to some people there. Did they? Did you get any impression that that they were looking to change the the manager? Or did you think they were they quite adamant they're going to stick with him? Uh, at, at the time, yeah, they they were adamant um, that that he was the man. I think because you know when I, when I speak to new owners, they can do so much research and they can identify a club based on the catchment area or you know the capacity at the ground or the the metrics that allows them to grow a club. And that that's frankly that is what a lot of particularly US based investors used when they buy these clubs. They'll tell you that you know they're massive fans of wherever um you know small provincial provincial kind of town in britain that they'll never previously have heard of um but but that is the metrics they use and and a lot of them are are actually upfront about that if you ask them Mm -hmm. but the thing that they didn't realize they had um that won't show up any metric on any metrics is a legend a club legend like paul simpson at carlisle so that is like a massive bonus to those owners walking in he's a man who knows the club inside out but also is very good at his job and um you know has been a, a real hero for them um but you know <laughs> that goodwill I guess doesn't doesn't last forever I th- I think he he's the type of manager that can absolutely you know keep them up but um my honest my honest feeling is that it it might be already kind of too late for them um and there's always that thing of signing too many players and then it's like too much work to do because you're trying to get like half a new team or a whole new starting 11 to kind of bond uh, pretty quickly. And, and they need results very quickly. So. Do you think it's like you, you actually said earlier about the Blackburn Rover situation. Do you think the owners will look at the situation now and think we're probably going down? Is it worth doing what Fleetwood Town did? And I mean, they're they may be on their fourth or fifth manager of the season in the next in the next few weeks. Do you think it's the owners will look at the situation and go, let's just keep Paul Simpson. We we're going down anyway, and we can assess the situation in the summer. Or do you think they should kind of throw the kitchen sink at it and say, there's clubs above us, like your Port Vales, like your Exeters, like your your Shrewsbury Towns that are dropping points that will drop points, and we can claw back some ground on them. Yeah, I think personally, um, and, you know, it's not my money or my reputation at risk um, in owning the football club, but I think sticking with him makes more sense to me um, just because, um, you know, they've taken over mid-season. Mm-hmm. So that's always a difficult kind of transition. And I think if I remember rightly, when I spoke to them, they weren't getting ahead of themselves in saying we we need Carlisle to be a championship club within three years. So no one ever wants to take a backward step, but if it's a case of not accepting relegation, because like you say, it's so easy for the, for teams above, but you can make some steady improvements and teams above slip up, then you can somehow, you know, you can pull it off to stay up. If they did end up going down though, um, you know, the, there aren't many better managers to, to rebuild in that scenario than Paul yeah. Simpson. So, um, and, you know, if you look at the teams that might be coming the other way, they're all hefty budget teams. Um, and I'd fancy Carlisle <laughs> if, they, if they went down suddenly to, to actually be in a really strong position to come yeah. back up. So it's just that it's how linear you want to see the progress for the the thing you've just invested in, I guess. Um, and for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't see it as the end of the world, which I know for fans, it probably will feel that way. But, you know, if you took one step back to then take two steps forward, um, there are risks in it, but it, yeah. it could still work. And I, and I do think Paul Simpson would be the right manager for that. So, Financially, obviously staying in the league makes sense. But I always it always amazes me when, not amazes me, I suppose, people want to be in a higher division always. But sometimes it's probably more fun as a fan to go back down. At least you might win some games. You know, there's no fun watching your team win four out of 28 matches. There's just no yeah. fun in that. It's just literally the <laughs> ratio of, of of being upset to being happy is just not worth it. So maybe it is a bit better for fans and, and their, their state of mind, I suppose, if they do go back down and hopefully bounce back up. They lost on Moxon. He went to Portsmouth, which is, is obviously a massive loss. They did try and sign, and I just want to touch on this quickly. They did try and sign Jake Young from... Bradford City this was a whole just fiasco it was popcorn stuff really and, and Paul Simpson said the fee was ridiculous Graham Alexander got very upset the director of Bradford City got very upset 
I think Paul Simpson actually apologised for calling. Did he? I think he apologised. He may have apologised for it. It was just a bizarre situation. I think a lot of clubs tried to sign Jake Young. Actually, I mean, I know Port Vale injured. There was Exeter. There was Carlisle United. There was a number of clubs. I think even Derby and Charlton were linked at one stage. I remember reading, which I don't know how true that was. Um, was there any? Was there any? What was the fee? I suppose. Not. I'm. You may not know, but. Do you, do, you, do you know roughly what the fee was? No, I don't, to be honest. And and it's always interesting if a manager decides to go public about yeah. it, kind of, you think, crikey, what were they asking? Or whether it's just kind of a a tactic to, yeah. to force a, a move through or sort of push things forward in a negotiation. Um, but, I mean, for him to have scored that many goals in the first half of the season <laughs> and, you know, if, if they were looking to move him on, um, then, yeah, you'd imagine they'd come down on the fee a bit mm. if if you really want to move them on. But, um, but you know, goals goals are expensive, and uh, <laughs> if you've got an asset, yeah. I don't I don't blame any club for kind of holding out, especially when clubs are desperate in in January. So, um, yeah, I I love that sort of drama as long as it doesn't involve your club in any way. <laughs> it is absolutely the sort of drama or like one one person being rattled by another person. It, yeah. It's great fun. I loved Alexander's involved. comments yeah. where he said that he was, well, I already said this to him on the phone. Uh, I thought this is brilliant. They've had this conversation as well. Like in It really private. lifts the lid. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. Like they've had this conversation in private and I would love to be a fly on the wall when that conversation was happening because uh, Paul Simpson, the call, uh, this is why I asked, the call the fee ridiculous means it was a lot of money and I would guess that it was probably mid, mid, six figures maybe again I'm just guessing but to call it ridiculous because I wouldn't classify like 100,000 as ridiculous I would classify above 500,000 as ridiculous if I was just looking at it from outside in but yeah yeah I think I just, that's fair yeah I think just the whole situation was bizarre and and, and box office really and then the, the director of, Bra- of Bradford City he got involved like, it was just fantastic and positively did apologise but we will discuss a piece that you wrote about Nancy, and I loved it, Stuart Maynard. I actually didn't know a lot of the information uh, until I read your piece. Yeah. He worked uh, at BT or as a telecoms operator for BT Openreach just a few weeks ago, actually, but for 19 years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. An and now he's yeah. a full time football league manager. Yeah, gave it gave it all up. Um, yeah, it's a great story. Lovely chap as well. I spoke to him after the game. Um, but yeah, he was he was in his van apparently. He got the <laughs> call from Knotts. Um, and uh, you know, probably they'd have to have quite an interesting conversation with his manager um to say <laughs> thanks for 19 years. But um yeah. But I think he always had that ambition. It's just um I suppose you you go into management in in whatever way you can, and, and he was an assistant for a long time um to Dean Brennan. Um mm. Uh, before he took over at Wealdstone was his first um first job as, as number one. Um and uh and, and they're a part time outfit in National League. So you, you do have to have another job, <laughs> basically. But there's not many part time teams actually left in the National League. It's it's become so sort of um Filled common that teams that drop down. That's the problem. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah, yeah. And and you know they are and they're not sort of like a part-time hybrid team or like a part-time pretend part-time team yeah. where they they have the players doing other jobs or they pay them enough that yeah there's enough hours it's literally like tuesday night thursday night and then they have a zoom session on a monday for an yeah. hour and it's like he had about three and a half hours to work with them all um all week which is um insane compared to the time i have on his hands now so they did really well under him um i think their best league finished for like 30 years or something playing good football quite similar to the style that knots play so the old uh, Knotts database has, has kicked in and found. Well, what amazed me yeah. most was because I've done some work in recruitment uh, in my past. What amazed me was the the fact that I know Knotts County use a data-driven approach, but the fact that they use that for are in the National League is more surprising because the, the availability of good data in the National League is very small. The availability of good data below the Championship or Premier League, I'd say, is very small. 
because yeah. the more you go down, the less, I suppose, the stats are are true. And the best way to explain this is I always think about like when you look at XG plots or you look at the the goal and it has like the dots everywhere and it shows you where. And my local club, obviously Shelburne in, in, in Dublin, I remember one night there was a shot which was just outside the six-yard area. And I tried to check the XG the next day on why go stupidly as if they would care. But when I went into it, the shot was like near the edge of the actual 18-yard box. And I thought, and then that's a big difference. Like you're you're talking 12-yard 12, 12 distance there. And that would make a lot of difference with the XG. And that's why I say so. It was, it was really interesting. I would love to see how Notts County correlate their data to find someone like Stuart Maynard from, from, from Willstone and, I find it fascinating. I love stuff like that. And I know people people get their niggers in the twist a bit about data being used in football, which is fine. I mean, you know, but I really like it. And I hope I hope he does a good job because the story's fascinating. Like he's 43 now, I believe. He may not be yeah, too happy yeah. to be saying that, but like <laughs> telecoms operator for, for 19 years. And as you said, the conversation with the manager would have been fascinating or even just with his family saying like, I yeah. have to leave my full-time job in 19 years to go, working in a football league in a job which is the most insecure job on the planet that's the thing yeah yeah I suppose at least he's got like a trade to go back (laughs) to (laughs) but I don't think I don't I don't think genuinely he'll go (laughs) he'll need to return to it um uh, I I think yeah there there were um, I saw them against um Barrow which was a tough game for his first game um and there were good um promising signs there Jody Jones got his 17th assist of the season which is insane um and uh they've just signed um striker uh Jatta Alessana Jatta I think his name is and he's like six foot three or something and Jody Jones did a tweet quote tweeted it like with a an emoji rubbing his hands or something you know he's just <laughs> whipping those whipping crosses in. in if yeah. he doesn't get to like 30 assists now after tweeting that then yeah. <laughs> Stuart Maynard needs to be having a word but um but yeah so that's good fun but um now they're an interesting club and I do I do fancy them to maybe you know retain a place in the playoffs they're kind of knocking around in that yeah sort of danger zone of slipping out but I do think they'll they'll make it and it was interesting as well in the piece you said, but you mentioned a few moments ago that they would have a Zoom meeting on a Monday and then they train Tuesday, Thursday, and then game, of course, on the Saturday. I found that I found the Zoom meeting really interesting because I thought most teams that aren't full time would only get the hours to train because you'll get the guys for a Tuesday and a Thursday. A Zoom meeting is smart though, because it means you can I'm interested in how it kind of works. Do they did they did they watch the entire game on, on a Zoom call? And they all just sit there like like they're at the cinema, and I'll see each other's fan <laughs> reactions. I think that'd be mind blowing to, to to watch happen. But as you said in the piece as well, he has a lot more. I think or maybe maybe a quote from him. <clears throat> he has more resources now because he's yeah. at a professional club. Yeah, yeah, he'll have you know teams of well, not teams. I don't want to make it sound like they've got. <laughs> an absolutely massive Premier League scale backroom team. But, you know, they they will have analysts and, yeah. you know, it will be more than what they had at Wheelstone. Like that's mm. not that's not doing Wheelstone down. They're just you know, there are yeah. <laughs> there are levels of finances that allow you to have these things and and knots have got that. So um yeah, yeah. No, it it'll be good um to see what he does there. I hope he does well. But well I don't want to end the we won't end the podcast on a on a negative note. Just the last thing we need to discuss is Swindon Town because they've had a roller coaster a couple of days in terms of the ownership. And then the ownership, I suppose, made it up to the fans a little bit yesterday. It was like Christmas, it was like Christmas morning last night. They brought three three new names in, especially, especially, I mean, it was like Ronaldo was back at Old Trafford. It was Harry McCurdy <laughs> coming back and it was unbelievable. And I was looking at tweets of people saying he's going to wake up a seven year old to tell him. And I thought, I love it. Brilliant. Harry McCurdy's back. and Fans are absolutely buzzing, but it was. I, I feel like it's like when you have a row with your partner and you buy them flowers after you, you've been in the wrong. Kind of, it was a bit. <laughs> you know, they got a slap on the wrist. They got their their two thousand pound fine. I mean, you're probably best place to talk us through the, the the last couple of days, Nancy. To be honest, you, you you'd be way more in the know than I would. But what what happened? Then that was it. Two days ago, they they got they got done, but then they repealed it and. Yeah, yeah, it feels like um, 
the fact that it came out kind of on the two busiest days of the transfer window as well. I don't know if that's good for them, bad for them, I don't know. But um but yeah, so they've they've kind of had this charge, I think for late payments, mm-hmm. um uh which which the owner um said uh, in a fans forum was an admin error and um I'd love to know what it, what that means, an administrative <laughs> error. <laughs> it covers a lot, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Um I I I do not know really. Um I mean I I do um I I'm not saying this to like excuse him, but I do wonder like how complicated these things genuinely get when you know there's like holding companies and and a holding company for the holding company that owns the football club yeah. and i do sometimes think like who is actually monitoring all that some poor person with a deep understanding of accounting must have an idea yeah. but, um and then i think he was charged as well for for not declaring the share transfer yeah. to um someone called holly holly keely who uh, yeah. was 17.1 percent. so that's why he was charged it was more there was a 5% transfer as well, but because it's under 10, the EFL's kind of 10% mm-hmm. um, ownership rule, you don't need to declare it. But they hadn't declared that. That was all the way back in September 22. So, um, uh, and no, no one knows much about this this uh, <laughs> woman. So um, I think her husband was briefly listed as a director in the um, club programme, and that was ruled as an admin error again, uh, or an error of some kind. There's lots, lots of errors. Yeah. <laughs> It's like he's made. It's um, like he's making the match program and everything. He's making all these errors, and, I think it's, and then and then the yeah, the stuff came out. I think it was as you said, September about the shares. Yeah. And then he said in November that no chance he'd sell, but I also might sell, which I thought was yeah, uh, just a fascinating way of phrasing that. You're, I mean, uh, you always say, and I said this to you off air. You always say every club's for sale, and it's something I now yeah. live by, Nancy. Your, your words: <laughs> every club is for sale. So. Every club is always for sale. Yeah. So I think it's just. Um, I guess it, it's just unsettling stuff that as a fan you don't want to be worrying about uh, and so another another of those EFL clubs where they've had various owners in recent years that you know you probably um, become slightly less forgiving or, or less generous with your patience when you've you know had your had your hand, fingers burned a couple of times with um, with owners kind of not being upfront about a lot of things or, or being too upfront in some cases. So, um, yeah, it's a hard, it is a hard balance, um, to get, but I think like just keeping fans in the loop about things like major transfers of shares is probably a good kind of basic level of, um, communication, but, um, but yeah, they got Harry McCurdy. So, you know, (laughs) maybe this is it now. He might, he might fix Many yeah, and various but, but I mean, problems. They might be able to draw a line under this and kind of go again. Well, hopefully, because they got. Well, they were they were initially given a three transfer window fee restriction, and then it was appealed, mm-hmm. and it went to two. But the second is suspended unless they fail to make payments at H or they make late payments at HMRC again, they still have to pay to two thousand. But then they signed a lot of players in deadline day, and I think how does. You, again, you're probably more clued up on this than I would be. But just as in as someone who doesn't know too much about the the dealings of of football business, Nancy, mm-hmm. they got what does the the transfer window fee restriction mean if they can still make signings? When does that kick in? Does that not kick in this week? I thought this would kick in this month. I mean, it depends on, um, I suppose, what their what their late payments have been linked like obviously it might be down to hmrc on the structure of deals or anything um i don't know if that's come out or not actually like the actual yeah sort of particulars of the the problem but sometimes clubs can get around these things by um by like the way they structure the payments or like the um uh, amortization thing which obviously was a, a favourite for for Chelsea, Chelsea recently, yeah. and uh, Derby had a lot of that when they were um, yeah under Mel Morris, but um, but yeah, so sometimes it might be that uh, it could be like a a wage cap. Um, uh, it depends kind of how the EFL have imposed it. It could be like a big number that they have to bring their whole squad in under, or it could be you know like a weekly wage cap, or it could be yeah any mm. number of things. I. I don't personally know the exact um, situation, uh, but it they kind of they often structure it in different ways for different clubs depending on their situation. So, um, and sometimes it is just a hard kind of transfer embargo. But this sounds like slightly different to 
you know, some of the things we've seen previously. Yeah. Feels like the EFL's stance is slightly softened in terms of transfer embargoes or kind of spending limit type things. Um, it used to be like I love the much... Reading because Reading were slapped. Well, yeah, transfer embargoes for a while. <laughs> yeah, but some of the, some of the League Two clubs, I think um, Doncaster are in the same yeah. boat. Um, it's probably not as severe, obviously, as anything that's happened at Reading or Derby or Wigan, but um, which might be why it's softened. But yeah, yeah it's very very complicated i imagine to actually work out but yeah. as long as they yeah i guess they're they're not going to break the rules are they if <laughs> i mean you'd be stupid to break the rules you're stupid right, to break so. them now yeah after being <laughs> yeah. but it, it's been a bit of a it, it's just been a roller coaster a few months from the town fans because also then he he's made some mistakes obviously he has made mistakes he, he handed michael flynn a, a new deal and sacked him six weeks later which is yeah just bizarre but to make up for everything and his little slap on the wrist, he brought back Harry McCurdy and the fans are now, I would imagine, happy enough again. Well, they seemed happy on Twitter. Obviously, Twitter's not the best gauge of how happy a human being is or how happy <laughs> a fan base are. We can see that by how much uh, the stuff that trends, basically. But it'd be interesting to see you now what happens for the rest of the season, whether he does learn his lesson. The owner that is about, I suppose, how to, how to be... How to communicate with fans for one, but also how to, I suppose, make make payments at HMRC and how yes. to, you know, it's a number a number of issues he has to learn. Nancy, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much, and I'm so sorry I ran over time. It's just we we started a bit late because my dog would not stop barking, and that's my fault. But thank you, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on your for, yeah, and, and for your incredible insight. It's been an absolute pleasure. What are your plans for the weekend? Um, I'm well. I'm off to Lincoln this afternoon to chat to them. Um, mm. yeah, few few interviews going off there, and then I have an absolute blockbuster game. Hopefully tomorrow, Huddersfield Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Ooh. yeah, we go in hope of goals. The I don't Darren know Moore Derby, yeah, the Darren Moore Derby, or the Jordan Rhodes Derby, <laughs> yeah. or the Tom Lee's Derby. Yeah. Depends, uh, yeah, depends where your loyalties lie. But yeah, so um, that should be a, an interesting one. We have so many guys that are with the real EFL, that are, including Gary Hutchinson, who my name is under here because it's his account, obviously the Zoom account, but he is a huge Lincoln fan. They're all huge Lincoln fans, so they'll be interested to see what, 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 what happens with that. So stay tuned for that. And of course, you can read all of Nancy's stuff at The Athletic. She is absolutely brilliant. And read her Stuart Maynard piece, by the way. It's absolutely fascinating because I love the opening paragraph. You're learning that he was a, 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 a telecoms operator for 19 years. I absolutely love that. Nancy, again, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. To everyone listening at home, make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. And if you found Nancy as insightful as I have, it means the world to us. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow you've got your McNugget share box on the go and you know what your mates already got booked for double dipping but then later on you steal in grab the last nugget and snatch all three points perfect why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app Are you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.